0: The thing that God wants from you more than he wants anything else. The thing he wants from you the most is your love. God's a God of relationship. And if you read the Bible from cover to cover, this beautiful, wonderful book. is a history of a God reaching out to human beings and loving on them and saying, I want a relationship with you. On the day of judgment, when all things are judged by the living God, when he when every human being will pass by him, did not one human being will have a leg to stand on if they would try to say, God, you never reached out to me. All they had to do was look in this book. And I'm here to say this to you again, and I hope that this, if, if nothing else settles in your mind before you leave here this morning from my sermon, if you turn it all off after you're done here, I'm hoping that if you get nothing else out of my sermon today, you will walk out of here with an understanding that God doesn't care about making you religious. God cares about making you his. He loves us today and he is all about relationship. He's the one who created relationship is one of the most important aspects of being human. God makes you with a void for one. You need relationships from the very moment you're born. You're utterly dependent on relationships. And until the day you die, you need relationships to die alone without any relationship in the world. Is beyond miserable. And so God has an interest in you. And what he wants in you more than anything. He doesn't care about what you can do. He doesn't care about your talent. He doesn't care about your age. He doesn't care about your ethnicity. He doesn't care about any of your abilities. What he cares about is your love. And that's what he that's what He is about. So when we read these. These verses that we read today, they are part of a statement that is being made by Jesus Christ himself. These these are red letters in my Bible indicating that Jesus said these words. He said to John, who he was revealing these truths to, I want you to write these down verbatim. And so he's talking to churches here. And in chapters 2 and 3, it records how Jesus is giving direct Messages to various churches that existed during the day of this revelation that Jesus met with John. But this represents the ages of the church. And in this particular case, he is speaking to our age. And this may sound uncomfortable, but like it or not, these words that are spoken by Jesus are spoken to the church of our day, our time. And I want us to look at these words carefully because I can tell you something. Once in a while, when I was growing up, um, my parents met business. And I knew by their tone when they were speaking to me that they wanted me to listen to them. Usually, it included my entire name. (laughs) And when my dad would pull out my entire name and he would have this tone about him, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. I dreaded it. I hated it when he used my entire name. He never used it to say, I'm so proud of you. If he came out with Ken, I was safe. Ken or Kenny was good. If he said Francis Kenneth I was done. Okay, what that at the very least meant was when whatever words would follow Francis Kenneth whatever words were going to follow, that meant you better be listening to me. Woe be unto you if you're not. And I want you to understand that in this case, I know often, you know, we see some beautiful, loving, kind, um, just lovely words coming from the lips of Jesus Christ. All of them have weight. But the tone here is that kind of tone. Jesus is looking into the eyes of his church in this day and time. And he is saying these words. They're very direct and they're serious in their tone. And the meaning is very clear. He's not speaking in parables here. He's not telling a story. He's speaking to the church as it appears just before he will return to the earth in power and glory. This message to the church in Laodicea is a message for you and I. And we better pay attention. Here I am again standing in front of a congregation about to say what most of you have already heard before I believe that if you've been in church very long, you've heard a message from this passage of Scripture before. But I'm asking you today to please hear it again as if you were listening to these words for the very first time. Please give your attention to this message based on how direct Jesus is, how serious he is here. For the next 20 minutes, I ask you to commit to focus on what is here before you, not because of me. Not because I'm the one delivering the message, but because I am sharing a message that Jesus Christ himself delivered. Commit to engage these words from Christ. Because these words tell us some things. They tell us what Jesus saw as he looked at the church in our age. Verse 15 says it this way. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. Again, because you already know this, I won't belabor this point, but I will remind you again that Jesus does see us. I don't know that we always understand that. I don't know that know that we always keep that in our minds, but you need to understand that the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, sees everything we do. He knows our deeds and he knows our, our condition. The heart condition that we are in. And he is saying that we, we often say that we love him, but he sees our deeds. We say we believe in the power of prayer, but he sees our prayer lives. We say we love his word, but he sees how little attention we pay to it. We say we live holy lives, but he knows even our thoughts. Have we forgotten that Jesus sees and knows all? When our words and our actions don't line up, Jesus sees that. And he knows our heart's condition. I don't know why so many of us act as if that's not a big deal. I think that's one of the biggest truths in the Bible, that God knows and sees everything there is to know and see about me. He understands me from the beginning to the end. And that's a huge thing to me. I don't know why so many of us treat the grace of Jesus Christ so carelessly. Why so many of us habitually, deliberately disobey our Lord and sin against him and then expect him to be okay with it. I'm talking today, by the way, to the church. I'm talking about people who are regular church attenders in America today in this age. Why do so many of us go through our days almost completely prayerless and without ever, ever cracking our Bible open? And then all the while we want him to bless us. Church, I know that the Lord also, and this is good news, he also sees our struggle. The Bible says that he understands fully we're just human. And we're formed out of dust. And thank God he sees that. He knows that we're human beings. We're flawed and we have a bent to sin left to our own devices, left to our own strength. We'll fall into temptation and we will surrender to it. God is full of compassion and love and grace. And I am so grateful for that. He is a gracious, forgiving God. But none of that is an excuse to not give him our very best. Amen. What he wants more than anything from me is me to love him. He wants our best love. And that's what he demands from us. And by the way, this is Jesus. He has a right to want that from us. This is the one who sacrificed himself on a cross and gave everything he had for us. This is the one who sees our deeds. Have we forgotten that he has perfect knowledge and perfect judgment of our hearts? He understands why we do what we do. He sees the motives behind us. He says to the church of this age, I see that you are indifferent about me. That's what lukewarmness is about. Let me say something to you, my friends. If you're in a relationship with somebody that you love dearly and you pour yourself out to them because you love them. And I just want you to think a little bit about somebody you love. If you're a mom, that won't be hard, will it? It won't be hard for you dads either. You love your children and you should. I love my kids. I'd take a bullet for my kids in a heartbeat. I'd step in front of a speeding train if it would make a difference for them in a heartbeat. I wouldn't give a thought to it. If you're in a relationship with somebody you dearly love, Imagine the pain that comes from having them be absolutely indifferent and cold towards you. Imagine what that feels like. I pray you never have to experience it. But when you love somebody fully, when every inch of you loves them, when you love them enough that your love is sacrificial without a second thought, you just would do that because you love them. When you have that kind of love for somebody, if they are indifferent towards you, you will know it, right? I don't want to be in a marriage like that. I don't know about you, but I want my wife to love me. I like it that she does. She's pretty cute, too, but that's beside the point. (laughs) But for 37 years, and and I think sometimes love is an act of the will, and sometimes Darlene woke up and said, I said I would love him. You know, I'm sure there are those moments. But I want to, in my marriage, I want to be in a marriage where I feel like my wife cares about me. What would it be like to be in a relationship, in a marriage where it's just cold and indifferent? And you don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. I don't care anything about you. The Lord is saying, that's church, how you're treating me in this last day. And I see it. I'm not unable to perceive it. I see your heart. I know that you've drifted away. And I see that your affections and your attentions are elsewhere. I know from your deeds that you neither love me nor hate me. You don't hate me, but you don't love me. I you want my blessings and you want me to love you, but you give me lip service. These words beg the question for me, Lord, am I like that? Oh, I I check my heart when I read these words. Every time I come across these words in Scripture, I say, oh, God, am I like that toward you? After all you've done, after all that you are, after how wonderful you are to me, God, do I treat you coldly? Am I indifferent about you? Do I love others more? Do I love things more? That question should be the question we are asking at this point, because these words also tell us what Jesus revealed To the last church or to the church of Laodicea and therefore church of our age. Verses 16 and 17. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. You say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Wow. Wow. If these words were not from the mouth of Jesus, it'd be a little bit hard for me to even believe. Are you starting to get a little uncomfortable yet? Because I think that was the point of what Jesus was saying to the church of Laodicea. I think that's the point. I think Jesus is in, is addressing the comfort level of his church in our era. You're lukewarm and it makes me sick. You're cold and you're indifferent and I'm nauseated from it and I'm poised to eject you and you think you are spiritually wealthy and you need nothing. I need to say something to you folks as a pastor. And I I hope you'll understand, you know, that our our core values kind of are represented by these words and the first word up there is love. And that, of course, relates to loving people. We need to love people. But first and foremost, this is about loving God. I fail you as a pastor if I don't challenge you to love God. I fail you as your leader and as your pastor if I don't lead you to love God with reckless abandon with everything you are. Because if there's any being that ever existed that deserves the best love that human beings can pour out, it is God Almighty. Amen. He above all deserves the very best that we can give to him. And when we come short of that, that's a huge problem. And I know of churches, and I'm not beating anybody up here, so please forgive me. I know of churches that lose a little, little bit of their vision for loving God back, and they get more about, let's get big. And they get more about activity and they get more about let's acquire things and let's build beautiful buildings and let's do big, huge ventures. And none of that in and of itself is wrong at all unless you don't have love for God. If you're being big to be big. And to be an impressive church. And to be a pastor of a real growing church. And people must admire me because I'm an awesome leader. If that's your motivation, I will tell you Jesus looks right in our eyes and says, You're making me sick. You say you're wealthy. You say you're spiritually wealthy and you're doing great things for me. But I'm telling you, I'm nauseated at you because you don't love me. And listen, folks, I mean this from my heart. I love you. I want to say this well. If there's one thing that we do well here at this church, it needs to be loving God back. Above everything else, let everything else flow out of a love for God back. And, and if we fail everywhere else and we love God back, I promise you, in God's economy, that's big. I promise you, that's what he wants from us more than anything. Does he want our church to be active and to be out in the community and winning people to Christ? Of course he does. But he wants us to do that because we love him. And listen, I'm going to say this. I've said this to you before. Please don't sit here and wonder if God loves you. Please understand that thing has been settled a long time ago. And one place you can go is 2,000 years ago with a Savior hanging on a cross for you. God loves you. There's no question about His love for you. Our challenge is to love Him back the way He deserves to be loved. That's where it is. And Jesus is saying to you, you're blind. You're poor. You're pitiful. You're wretched. You think that you've got all this going on. You think you're all that in two bags of chips. And I'm telling you, you're not. You're absolutely spiritually bankrupt because you don't love on me. And folks, I have to tell you, when, when, when we all stand before God, I promise you, he's not going to say, okay, you went to the gospel chapel. Shit. He's not going to do that. He's, the question will be, "Is do you love me? When Peter denied Christ, Jesus questioned to him three times in a row, Peter, do you love me? He didn't care. Will you go out and do this for me? Will you do that? Do you have ability? No, he just looked Peter in the eye and said, don't you love me? And that's what will matter. It's amazing to read those words, but you do not realize because what he is saying is your self-assessment is diametrically different from what I really see. It's different from your reality. You're living with a delusion that I'm pleased when I look at you and actually I'm sick when I look at you. I'm, in, I'm put off because you're wretched and you're pathetically weak and you're spiritually bankrupt and you're shameful. You're comfortable with yourself and you think you're doing well and I'm sickened by your lack of heart for me. You're too comfortable with this world and this world reeks in sin. In fact, you love it and you're indifferent towards me. That's what Jesus was saying. That's not easy to hear, is it? But that's what he's saying. You seek me far less than you think you seek the things that you love in this world. Just to remind you, this is not the first time the Lord spoke like this to his people. This is just this church of this age. But do you know that he once told the Israelites that he didn't even want them to assemble for worship anymore? They're very assemblies. He had previously established and commanded his uh, people to, to do their very assemblies made him sick, and he got tired of them. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 and 23, I hate, I despise your religious feasts, and I cannot stand your assemblies. Enough. Uh, Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Why would the Lord say such a thing to the Israelites, his people? I'll tell you why. Because it it turned into something fake. It was not generated from a heart of love. It wasn't real worship. It was worship. And folks, there's a difference. They assembled because they wanted God to protect them. They assembled because God had told them to. So they wanted God to give them good things. But they didn't seek him. They they sought what he would do for them. They sought what he would give them. God got to the point where he didn't want them to celebrate religious feasts and gather to worship or to sing any songs. And when I read this, I have to wonder, what did Jesus think of our gathering here today? What did he think of our worship of him this morning? Did it bless him? Or did we sicken him? Are we rich or are we spiritually bankrupt? Are we healthy in our relationship with him or are we pitiful? Are we clothed with righteousness or are we shamefully exposed? Are we blind or are we deceived? At the very least, may the spirit of God make clear in our hearts where we stand. I want that. Now, please don't hear this as a rebuke from my lips. I want you to know I love you. But it is my heart of hearts that we would be on fire for Christ. It is my heart of hearts that when we gather to worship, it's genuine. It's authentic. Listen, I know that there are more talented worship bands around. I thank God for the talent of our worship band. I know there are people with more talent in other churches. I don't care nearly as much about talent as I care that when we worship God, we do our very best to praise him. Amen. That's a pleasing song to him. Come on, you've all been around Christmas time when they used to have the pageants, and little Johnny gets up and plays a little solo on the piano. And if you're Johnny's relative, if that's your grandchild, you are so pleased with what he does, even though it's like one note at a time. I just want us to give God genuine worship. I want us to give him the best that we got. I just want to stop here and say that I fully understand that I am preaching to many people here who certainly are pleasing to God. You love him, and he knows that. You're obedient to him, and you walk in that obedience, and he knows that. And I know that I'm speaking to some people here who are vigilant about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you love Him With everything you are, you love them. I know I'm preaching to people like that. I don't want to say our church is full of hypocrites because we're not. All I can ask you to do is to continue to do what you're doing. Don't grow weary, saint of God. Keep walking with him. Keep loving him. Keep trusting him. Keep following him. And keep praying for all of us together as a church. Amen. Let's continue to honor the Lord. Those who are, keep doing what you're doing. And help our local church to be a loving, God-fearing church. Let's just do that together. I'm so grateful for those of you out there in our congregation who inspire me with your devotion to Jesus. And, and let me tell you, our congregation has some wonderful Christians in it. And I'm thankful for you. The thing is, some of us are lukewarm. Not I'm not judging that it's not my decision. It's not for me to say I can't point at one soul and say, I think that person's lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, God will reveal that to you. And I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but I'm trying to encourage you. Let's love God back and let's not be lukewarm. Jesus sees our deeds and he knows it. Some of us have gotten just too comfortable with our sin. Darlene, some years ago when we lived in the state of Delaware, we had a nice – we were blessed with a, uh, several nice homes in our life. God has always been so good to us, and that's a whole other sermon. But, but we were living in a place, and our driveway was 800 feet long, and our house was back in a, wood, a wooded setting on seven acres, and I loved it back there. It was just really nice. Well, Darlene decided that she wanted to raise some Pomeranians. And if you don't know what a Pomeranian is, it looks a little bit like a fox with a curly tail and, and about three times as hyper as any animal you could ever see, okay? They're just crazy. They're out of their minds. They're insane, okay? Pomeranians are all about let's have fun, let's bark, let's just, let's just create havoc. And so Darlene raised uh, Pomeranians for a while, and we had one by the name of Baron. Baron was cute as he could be. He's kind of a fox-colored reddish dog with a curly tail, hair everywhere, you know, and, um, he was. A spaz. He was a spaz. And he thought he was a human being. And Darlene treated him like he was our son. She would speak to him. And listen, my wife is, has a college education. She has a, a degree in children's education. Or, I'm sorry, children, uh, Christian education. A very bright lady, okay? Darlene has no slouch, no intellectual slouch. But uh, she, would, she would befuddle me. And she still does this. She talks to dogs as if they understand every word coming out of her mouth. And what I think our dog, our present dog Zoe, who is another spaz, there's something about spazzes and Darlene. She, I think that's why she's married to me. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, but there's, she likes playful and she likes spazzy and, and, and just like Zoe now. Zoe, Zoe, I think for Zoe, when Darlene talks to her, it's kind of how it goes. Balloon, oh, balloon, ball, ball, outside, you know, go bye bye There's a few things that the dog understands, but Darlene will have a conversation with the dog as if it understands everything. So I set the plate. So it's a beautiful day. It really is It's gorgeous outside. And Darlene went to the store with my oldest son, Chris. And um, and I stayed home and I was putzing around the house doing yard work. And Baron was outside running around being Baron, just enjoying the day. And Darlene came home. And whenever Darlene would show up, and this is still true of all of our dogs, whenever Darlene comes home, that is like the best moment of the day for the dog and the dog's. Dogs are athletic, especially Pomeranians. And he was—he stood this tall, but he could jump this high. I mean, he was, boing, boing, and he's jumping all over. And Darlene had been to Sam's Club, and and Chris carried in this big plastic barrel full of—I I think it was called Atomic. What was it called, honey? Tear jerkers. That's what it was. Tear jerkers. Okay. I don't eat stuff like this. I don't even understand why people do, but, but some do. And Chris absolutely loves sour balls. This is just who he is. And tear jerkers are like mega sour balls. Okay. They're so strong that when you put them in your mouth, your whole face disappears inside your mouth hole. It just, it puckers you so hard. And so, like it just will put you in um, its immediate convulsions, all right? And so, Chris is home and 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 he has one of these tear jerkers, and he wants to get me. And he says, "Dad, I got some candy. Try one of these." And he tosses it at me, and I say. No, I know what that is. That's a sour ball. I don't like sour balls, son. I don't care for them. And then Chris pulls out, you're a sissy. Okay? He starts that. Come on, you sissy. Come on, Dad. Come on, just do it. Don't be a sissy. Put it in your mouth. Look, I'll do it. He puts it in his mouth. Nothing. He sits there. I I could see his eyes twitching and all, but, I mean, he was doing good. Then he's he's going on. Then darling says, oh, come on, honey, just just humor him. And eat so stupid me. I opened the stupid ball up and sure enough, I stick it in my face and I went immediately into convulsions. I twist it like a pretzel. My face is all twisted up and I'm ugly enough. So it really was bad. I'm just uh, it was absolutely disgusting. I spit it out and I threw it into the woods. It was awful. I hated it. And then, of course, Chris was laughing. He says, come on, mom, your turn. Of course, mom obliges. see." puts it in she turns inside out too it's awful the whole time all of this is going on baron is thinking they're eating something i want some and he is jumping and he is excited he's spinning around around this is what he would do he would literally do backflips until you give him food and so darlene tries to reason with the dog baron you won't like this she's holding one up she says you won't like this baron and he's when she said Baron, he understood that. So he's going nuts now, right? She's going to give it to me. And he's flipping and jumping and going like crazy. And she's saying, Baron, this is sour. You're going to hate it. I'm not going to give it to you. Well, that just encouraged him to try harder. And I don't know how much harder he could have tried, but he is going nuts at this time. So finally, Darlene gets a little annoyed when him. And says, fine, Baron, but you're going to eat it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. She rips open the sour ball and she holds it out. And whenever Baron got his way, I kid you not, this is what he would do. As a little Pomeranian, he'd stick his little chest out. He thought he was all that and three bags of chips. And he started prancing, prancing away until the sour ball effect hit him. And I kid you not, it looked like he turned inside out. He, he, would, and he went into this immediate convulsions and spun around. He spit it out. He looked at it and he started cocking his head at it like... What just happened here? And he walks up to it gingerly. And he begins to sniff on this sour boy. He's just looking at it. He's like, that's pretty bad. And, and for some unknown reason, he tried again. He picks the sour ball up, and he begins to prance away. I got it this time. Boom, it hit him. He turned inside out again, and he spit it down on the ground, and he cocked his head at it. This time he had had enough, so he walked up next to it. He lifted his legs and rendered it useless for anything to, <laughs> to consume. And can I tell you, as a pastor and a friend... That I think that dog exercises more judgment in that moment than a lot of Christians do. Because, oh, won't we suck on the sour balls of this world? And as a Christian, God has built into us, the Holy Spirit is faithful to us, that when we begin to do something that we should not do, that would be dishonoring to our walk with God, we pucker. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us and saying, you don't want this. It's no good. And barren exercises more, con- uh, more sense by rendering it useless for anything to consume than we as Christians do. We keep sucking the sour ball until we desensitize to it. And then it's not that bad anymore. And we expect God to be okay with that. Some time ago, there may have been a conviction in you. I shouldn't see that. Maybe there was a conviction in your heart. I shouldn't go there. Maybe some time ago in your relationship with God, you sensed that when you got near something that wasn't pleasing to God, it puckered. Maybe an attitude that you hold. Maybe when you first started holding that grudge, the Holy Spirit was so faithful and said, look, that's wrong. And you puckered, but you got used to it. And now you just suck down the sour ball. And I want to tell you that grieves the heart of your God. And I'm praying that God helps us to look back on our lives. And get uncomfortable with sinning against the holy God again. It's not a little thing. It's a big deal. You know, that, that little story I tell about barren. That has a funny ending. It's a funny story. It was only a sour ball. But the Bible does warn us about deceiving ourselves. Galatians 6, chapters 6, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please a sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let me offer one more thing to you about these words. I want us to see what Jesus offered in these words. Jesus said, I counsel you. And can I just stop for a second and say, thank God. Jesus didn't just say, you know what? You're a wreck and you make me sick and I'm going away. Here's what he said. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich. And, and get some white clothes to wear so you can cover your shamefulness and salve for your eyes so you can see again. To those I love, I love these words. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at your door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll eat with him and he with me. To him, whoever comes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. I won't uh, give away everything that uh, everything. I had a conversation very recently with Joe and he shared with me something that the Lord revealed to him about the, his throne. And Joe. Someday we're all going to get to sit on Jesus throne together. I'm so thankful for the Lord's mercy today. Even with his stomach turning, he holds out his arms and he says he offers a remedy for us who are wretched and blind and naked and and lukewarm. He, He offers a remedy to this church in this age. And I want to tell you, we don't have to be here. We have a choice. We can be here. We love our God. And we can, we can stand and we might be different in the world. We might stand out. It's okay. We can be that kind of church for the Lord. And I'm so grateful that he does this. He assures us of the fact that his rebuke comes from his love. He does what he says. He says what he says. He confronts us because he loves us. And he, he assures us that if we're earnest with him, And we do business with God and turn around and go in another direction. That's what repent means. Just stop doing what you're doing and go the other way. If we do that, then he will have fellowship with us and he'll feed our souls. He'll bring us to health and he'll enable us to one day overcome everything and literally sit on his throne with him. Oh, my. What a powerful thing. That's what he's promised to the church of the latter days. Second Timothy chapter one verse six says, "For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands." You know, look, here's something about fire. It it has the tendency to burn out, and sometimes you got to fan it. And you know what I say, church? This is what I say. I think it's time for us to get fired up again. I never want to do things like like. Um, like we did last night with trunk or treat for the sake of saying, well, look, I I did my reach. I can check that off. I, I did that. I'm all done. No, I want us to do those kind of things because we love God and we love people. That's why I want us to do them. I want everything we do to generate from our love. I want us to pray to God with love. I want us to worship him with everything we've got. I want this church to be a church that loves God. That's what I want. I want to be part of a church like that. I want you to be part of a church like that. I want you to have a pastor like that. That's what I want for us. So please don't give your time to things like trunk or tree And thank you for giving your time, those of you who did. And then check it off your to-do list and say, there, I, I reached, I'm done. Don't do that. I'd rather you just keep working the people in your lives who need Jesus and you just keep talking to them and and, and work your weight costs all year. I'd rather see that than you do that for one event and say, I'm all, I got my check off list done. Do it because you love the Lord. I want whatever we do as a church to be done because of our love for Christ and our love for people. No more lukewarm complacency. Let's get fired up, man. Let's let's fire up. Let the spiritual temperature of the gospel chapel rise. Let the fire of God fall on his people in a fresh and new way. Don't you want that? I do. Let's not have comfort with sin. Let the Spirit of God open our eyes and renew our vision to love him and love holiness and walk with God to follow Jesus. Let our appetites for ungodly things change into a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And God's kingdom. Let us offer our hearts again in a new way to God. And ask him to clothe us with the robe of righteousness. And cover any shamefulness in our lives. And fill us again with the Holy Spirit. Let's ask for that as a church. Let's ask him to set us on fire. That's what I want. I want the Holy Spirit. I want the holy fire of God. I want it in me. I want it in here. I want it in you. And I believe that's what the Lord wants. Listen, church, we have a calling, a purpose, a mandate to minister to this area, to bring people to a place where they are saved and then begin learning how to follow Jesus Christ. And we'll never be able to do that well if we ourselves aren't on fire. So let's get there, folks. Let's get fired up. Let's seek the Lord and repent if we need to and get on track. Loving him and serving him. He's worthy. He is deserving of our very utmost. And today I'm not going to even ask our praise band to come forward as we end this service. What I'd like for us to do, Betsy or or Stephen, if you just find a song to, to let play. Because I want every one of us to have a chance to where we sit, offer ourselves up to God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute before the Lord, if you will. And here's I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm not going to do that. But here's what I'm going to ask. If there is a person here today and as I was preaching. The real truth for you is that you don't have a relationship with God. You just never have accepted Christ. And you never have trusted Jesus to take your sins away and forgive you. We all are there. The, the world, the Bible says that none of us are righteous, not even one. If, if today you want to make a first-time commitment to receive Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to do a very brave thing with no one looking around. Just slip your hand in the air and say, this is me receiving Christ as my Lord and my Savior today. I accept him as my Lord. Are there any Christians in here who have recognized, look, I love the Lord. I know I do. But I also recognize that God spoke to me and that there's some things that have happened in me. And um, I want to be on fire for God. And I just want to come back. I just want... All that God has for me. And I want to give all that I am to him. And so here's what I ask you to do. If you're a Christian like that. And you're just ready to say. I want to, to refocus my walk with God. If you'll stand to your feet quietly. This is me saying to God. Everything I have. Everything I am. Oh God I want you to have. And I want you to order my life. I want to be on fire for you, oh God. I want to be set ablaze by the Spirit of God, and I want to be filled. And this is me saying, God, here I am. Here I am.